Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Title of our series is That's a Good Word, Solid Advice for Life in an Unstable World. And I like to play games, and this week I played a game with Shayon and Andy uh, called Word Association. Um, and so I just threw words at them. We were sitting in the office. We, had, we got to eat some, uh, some food, and uh, then we hung out a little bit just catching up. And so I was just throwing words. And so I said social media, and Andy said TikTok. Shayon said dangerous. I said the Raptors. Andy said trash. Shayon said basketball. Like, okay. I said politicians. They agreed on this. Andy said, shady. Shay said, shady. I said, winter. Andy said, snow. Shayon said, the fall, because he believes snow is a part of the fall. So we're going to have to work that out with Jesus when we get to heaven. I said, life. Andy said, hard. I said, life. Shayon said, highway. I have no idea what. Turns, yes, turns out that's a song that Shepard's been singing because as you know, Shep is obsessed with McQueen, Lightning McQueen, and that's a song when uh, the truck's driving. And then I said, running, and he said, shoes. Shayon said, futile. <laughs> yeah, just a complete waste of time. Now, words, the reason why I did this with these guys is because words bring certain things to mind, right? Certain things come to your mind when you hear a word. Like when you hear the word religion, there are certain things that come to our mind. Now here's how most people in the city of Toronto, how people in our city think when they hear the word religion. Here it comes. I promise it's coming. There it is. Well, most people think when they hear religion, they think rituals. Just, a, just a, a bunch of weird stuff that people do. They think rules, right? There's just rules on us. They think hypocrisy. Bunch of people who say that they're this, but then when you look at their life, they live differently. They think closed-mindedness, like just not sort of living life in the real world. Just, you're just closed off. You're not with the times. You're not on the right side of history. You're not seeing things the way everybody is seeing it. There's a closed-mindedness. So that's what we think when we hear, most people think when they hear the word religion. But here's what James means when he uses this word. See, James uses the word religion three times in two verses. And he means something very specific. When he says religion, he is talking about genuine faith. 
So he's talking about people who have genuine faith. He's talking about people who, whose actions reflect a true believer, whose actions reflect a person who someone's like, yeah, I accept that. That's the right way to live. So what he's doing is in this passage, he's teaching us how people with genuine faith behave. That's what he's trying to teach us. He's going to show us some things, not everything, so the list isn't exhaustive, but he's saying, here are some things you should see. And that's why the title of our message today is, that is a good word about true religion, real faith. That is a good word about true religion. Now, here's the thing I want us to take away today. People who have true religion behave like their savior. When the faith is real, what you're going to see is that the actions reflect our savior. We behave like our savior. Now, when you read James, I don't know if you've sat down yet and read it from like beginning to end, you notice that he talks about talking a lot. He talks a lot about talking. Now, the way a model cares about the way they look, James cares about speech. And so he warns against speech. He warns against speech that blames God for things he does not do. So he says, don't do that. He warns about speech that's inconsistent. You bless God, but then you curse people made in his image, he says. It's an inconsistent. And we're going to get into the tongue in chapter Three, he really goes in on it. And then he talks about, he warns against speech that's slanderous and judgmental. And then there's speech, he warns against, that ignores the sovereignty of God. Tomorrow I'm just going to do whatever I want without thinking about the sovereignty of God. See, our words reveal us. Our speech says this is where I'm at, our words expose us. And so James warns because he wants us to be wise with our words, but he's also aware that our words expose us. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What Jesus says is what's inside comes out. And what comes out tells us where we are in the faith. Verse 26 says, if anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. So this word here, thinks, could be translated seems. So the person thinks they're in. They even do things that look like they're in. But James says if they don't control their tongue, if they don't bridle their tongue, they're not in. If there's no control over the mouth. And he uses this word bridle. There's a, I want to give you an, an, a picture here of, of a bridle. So that's a bridle on a horse. And what the bridle is meant to do is actually to control, direct, and restrain the horse. That's what, it, that's what it's doing. And so what James is doing is he's giving us a picture. He's giving us an image. He's saying the person who cannot control their tongue has no restraint. They lie. They gossip. They slander. They shame people publicly. They manipulate with their words. Like Adam, they blame shift. It's not my fault. It's 
It was this, it was that, it was this person. And here's the thing, they feel no conviction. They feel no conviction over the behavior. They lack self-control. And the, what's interesting is self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There it is. Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. See, a person that has a wild mouth, you think of like a wild horse just running all over the place, completely out of control. That, that, that person who, whose mouth is wild, what James is saying is they are not under submission to the Holy Spirit. There's no restraint on them. Now you're like, hold up, Marv. I got a question. All right, let's talk. Suppose a person just does this mm, here and there, maybe once in a while. Are you saying that they're not a Christian? The answer is no. See, what James is talking about here is a person who is in an unbroken pattern of sin. That's what he's, he's talking about. And let me show you. First John says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. See, now the keeping on is an unbroken, they used to do this, and they're still doing it. They were known for this, and that's what they're still known for, keeps on sinning. So no one who keeps on sinning, here it is, has either seen him or known him. So he's talking about a person who is in an unbroken pattern of sin. And what he's saying is when you see a person like that, that verse 18, remember verse 18, he has brought us forth by the word of truth, regeneration. One of the ways you can really understand the letter of James is to never forget verse 18. Because what James is doing, he's saying is, God has saved you. He writes to these people. He says, you have been regenerated. And then he's like the kind of guy that kind of grabs you by your shirt. And then he says, now you have to prove it by the way you live your life. And so he's saying, if that's what you see, verse 18 never happened. They have not been truly transformed and changed. That's why he says, this person's religion is worthless. That word worthless means vain. could be translated that, that way. It means meaningless. And so what you have is a person who's doing all kinds of Christian stuff. They look the part, but none of it matters because it's not real. They have not actually been changed. Tony Evans says this. I was reading one of his books this week. He says, God wants the heart, not the feet, with no heart. He doesn't want you, this is so good, standing up on the outside. Actions, playing the part, waving the hands, coming to the gathering. He doesn't want you standing up on the outside and sitting down on the inside. Our heart matters. We need to do the right things with the right heart. 
And that's what God wants. And if a person's doing the right things with the wrong heart, they're not really in the family. He wants the heart. And notice James says that the person is deceived. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. What's he doing here? He's showing us the effect that sin can have on us. See, when we sin, we deceive other people. But we should not be blind to the fact that sin can have a deceiving effect on us. It makes us think, again, that we are somewhere when we are not. And so he warns against that. What James is doing, he's showing that a person who has true religion controls their tongue. Controls their tongue. Believers are careful with their words because we serve a Savior who is careful with his words. In John, it says, John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh, Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as only the Son from the Father, what? Full of grace and truth. Jesus was careful with his words. You're like, give me an example. Okay, I will. John 4. He meets this woman and her life is, is really a mess. And if you, when you watch Jesus with her, he is honest. He tells her about the sin in her life. But he is so gracious and kind. He sits with her and just has a, 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 a conversation. He goes at the pace she wants to go. He talks about the things that she needs to hear. And you want to know how you can know that he was really gracious with the woman? She leaves and she's like, you people in this town need to come see this guy. Come see the one who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She's like, come see him. Why? Because he treated her with kindness. He treated her with dignity. He didn't disrespect her in the process. He told her the truth. Sometimes we talk to people and they never want to talk to us again. And you're like, why? Well, just look at the way you talk to them. But Jesus is this beautiful example. And so we are careful with our words. Jesus spoke to us with grace and truth. And now that is the way we speak to people. And that is the way we speak about people. And here's why. Because that phrase, or that saying, sounds real cute. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a lie. If there was a whole bunch of people in here, I would have been like, lift your voices and say, it's a lie. Because words hurt. Words do damage. Words ruin relationships. Wild, sinful words. Let me make that clear. And so we are careful with our mouth. We don't run our mouth. We allow the Spirit to guide our mouth. We come under submission to him because we know words, wild words, sinful words do harm. Verse 27 says, religion is that word, true faith that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit 
orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. The person who has true religion helps the needy. Helps the needy. This, this, that word visit in the text doesn't mean you just kind of show up and then just sit with them. It means to actually go with the intention to help. It's to go and find out what the need is and then say, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to help meet that need. Why? Because of what James says, that they're in affliction, pure, undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You're like, why would he use that word affliction? Well, that's because in this culture, orphans and widows were vulnerable, usually exploited, and forgotten. And so, so James says, church family, the widow and the orphan should be important to you. The widow and the orphan should be helped by us. They should be important to us because they're important to God. Exodus, Exodus 22, verse 22, God says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. You know, sometimes I hear people, you know, they talk about the God of the Old Testament. He seems so mean, angry all the time. I'm like, I don't know what Bible you're reading because you're not paying attention. You pay close attention, you find that God is kind and that he's considerate of people who the world tends to forget about and that he's, he is telling the people of Israel, here's how to remember and care for these people. Deuteronomy 14, 29 says, the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and what? Eat and be filled. Not just giving them a little bit like, oh, I'm going to keep, you have that, but I'm going to keep all this for myself. He's like, no, you feed them so that they're full. That the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. God's like, you want to be blessed? Care for the person who is needy and needs help. Consider the orphan and the widow and give them all that they need. That is the heart of God. We should never let people get it twisted about who God is and who he truly, and how he truly treats people. And so you're like, okay, Marv, how can we help the widow and the orphan now? Right? We always want to get to that. What does it, what does it mean practically now? Well, it means we can help orphans and widows Orphans, let's deal with that first, through adoption. And some people in our church, that might, that, that might be what God is saying to you. Take seriously the, the call to adopt a fatherless child who needs a home where they're going to hear about Jesus Christ, where they're going to be loved and helped in their life. We can start mentor programs support ministries that are, that are focused on the orphan. We can help the widow by visiting them. One of the things you learn about widows is that loneliness is a real thing in their life. There's somebody in their life for so long, and then that person's gone. And so we can just love with our presence. We can help by getting things done for them, running errands, all those sorts of things, and then financially support. Do you know that when you read... The pastoral letters, God actually gives clear instructions that the benevolence ministry of the church should actually prioritize the widow. 
There's the consistency. From old to new, God is giving thought to the needy, and so should we. And when we're behaving like this, we are being like our Savior. That's why this is important. When we behave like this, we're being like our Savior. Think about it. When we were poor and needy, the Bible says, he took thought of us. Jesus did not hesitate to help in our poverty and need. It says, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Again, people with true Religion, true faith, behave like their Savior. We're behaving like him. He did not hesitate to help, and neither should we. And I just maybe take time this week and just, and just pray and say, Spirit of God, show me. How do you want me to do this? How do you want me to take a step like this, to consider the Needy. And it could go beyond the orphan and the widow, the person in prison, the, the immigrant new to the country, whatever it is. How can I help make their life just a little bit better? Because you have blessed me in so many ways already. Blessed me so I can turn around, as Pastor Dennis would say, and be a blessing to other people. So verse 27 again, religion, that is... Pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphan and the widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. The word world here is talking about a system and thinking that functions as if God doesn't exist. When you, when you hear, whenever you see world, that's what it's talking about. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a thought and thinking that's sort of like in rebellion against the creator. And James says we are to keep ourselves unstained. Now, when you hear that, that doesn't mean you sort of withdraw. So keeping ourselves unstained from the world doesn't mean I sort of like huddle in over here and just like, ah, just close my eyes, cover, just look straight. That's not what it's talking about. It means to not be influenced by the culture's values and ideas. That's what he's saying. Is that, that, that there's this, not this influence over us. That it doesn't influence us in the way that we live and the things that we value. In our relationships, in our parenting, in our spending, in our sexuality, in our work life, our church life, our friends. All those things. We're just, that's not where the influence is coming from. And what James is trying to tell us here is that a person who has true religion resists the influence of the culture. That word unstained could be translated polluted. Some translations actually have it that way. To keep oneself unpolluted, I guess. I don't know if, that even, if that's good grammar. From the world. And here's why this is so important. Because when you are polluted, you actually lose your distinction. Uh, like two months ago, Shay came into uh, my office and he was telling me about uh, this, this pastor whose life kind of blew up. And somebody, an unbeliever, you know what they said, what they wrote? They said, Nothing about that person's life 
made me think that anything, I'm going to mess this up, anything that he was talking about or about seemed attractive. There was nothing that was different about him that made me actually desire the thing that he was saying he was for. And essentially the person said, because he looked just like me. There was no difference. There was no distinction. The saltiness was lost. The light was lost. And that's what James is saying here. When we, we lose our distinction, it gets real hard to be salt and light in the world, which is actually what we're called to, to be salt and light. It makes our witness weak when we look just like the people around us. And now, because I want us to keep winning at this, and because you know me to be a very practical kind of person, I want to give you some things that I believe will help us resist the culture, the influence of the culture. We can do it by praying and asking God to grow us in discernment. Grow us in discernment. Right? You, it's just crucial to have that. Then we want to evaluate what we hear, see, and read in community. This is important. Because when you're evaluating, it's telling you your brain's not shut off. So you're actually thinking it through. When, when, so whenever, here's, I want to give you three questions. Whenever we read a book, watch a movie, hear a song, we can ask these questions. And we should. I'm not saying you got to like, you know, if you're, you know, enjoying a movie with your wife or the person you're dating, you got to turn around and, you know, start dissecting it. I'm not trying to ruin your night. I'm saying at some point, maybe when you go for the walk the next day or whatever it is. But here are things to ask. What are the main things that I'm being told? So just, what am I, what's it actually saying? And, and we, you know, in the net, sort of Netflix, social media, a lot of people aren't asking that question. What am I actually being told? Where does the word of God agree and where does it disagree? This is important. Because believers, unbelievers, unbelievers have like, they, they're made in the image of God. So they can get some things right. You don't want to make it like you don't want to make that too big of a contrast. Like an unbeliever can't get something right. They can. But usually the things that they're getting right are sort of mixed up with a lot of things that are wrong. So you just want to say, where does the word of God agree? Here. Where does it disagree? Here. And then this is also very crucial. How should the gospel shape our understanding and approach to the issue being dealt with? Because that's going to tell you the right solution. How the gospel needs to shape the way I think and look at things. So we'll keep rolling. So that's number two. This is the next one. Realize that because of our personal story, history, avoiding certain movies, music, and books is wise. There are certain things that we should just stay away from. Just because of... It's going gonna, it's gonna to do some things to us. And then you want to just practice the regular habit of renewing our mind. Romans 
12 says, do not be conformed to this world. Same like James. Keep yourself unstained. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So remember, James says before, we got to get into the word. And that is the way our mind is renewed. The word has an effect on us. I talked about that last week. This, it transforms us. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Tells me how to think. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That's what we're after. I want to discern what God wants me to do and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We get in the word. And remember, in the context, this is what we sort of, it's sort of almost like a carry-on from last week. We get in the word because it helps me to discern what does God want? What would be pleasing to my Father? That is the way we can resist. Because when we're in the word, it keeps the voice of God louder than the voice of the culture, the noise of the culture. When we're in the word, it helps us to discern good from evil. That is why James says in verse 19, like last week, be quick to hear the word of God. We hurry up and listen so our mind is renewed. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. What James tells us to do is hard. It's not easy to just to hold on to your tongue. Trust me, I know. It's not easy to think sacrificially and give things away, your time and your resources to people who are in need. Those things are not easy. It's not easy to resist the influence of the culture because we're, we're just in it. There's so many things coming at us, so many things to read, so many things to watch. Sometimes I like pull up Netflix and I just turn it off because I'm like, I don't know what to pick. There's just so many things there all the time. So what James tells us to do is hard, but James actually tell, says something that should help us. It's hard, but he says something that should help us. And I was grateful to God when he actually showed this. And it's in the text. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Before God the Father. God is watching us. Now, we hear that and we get scared. Oh, his eyes are on, on you. But you shouldn't get scared. And you're like, why shouldn't I be afraid? Because he says, Father. Father. God isn't watching you with angry eyes, hoping that you mess things up so that he can explode. Some of us grew up with dads like that. And that skewed our image of God. But our father is watching us like a proud parent. He is watching us with love in his eyes. He is watching us 
cheering for us. He is watching us ready to help. Remember, again, earlier in the passage, it says that we are the first fruits of his creatures. We are loved by God. We are a preview of what is to come. And so he is up there saying, make me proud, Phil. Make me proud, Sam, today. It's with love in his eyes. He wants to say at the end, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into joy. And so we should not get it twisted. He is watching us with love. And every day he is saying, depend on the Spirit and make me proud because I believe that you can. Because the Spirit of God is in. We have help. We have access to the Father every day. We can go on a knee and say, God, help me. I feel weak. When I get around this person, I do tend to just kind of spill at the mouth all the time. When the money gets tight, I do get a little bit selfish and I don't necessarily want to give it away. Sometimes I'm with those friends. And again, remember, it's not withdrawing. It's still being with people. But sometimes I'm with those friends and the distinction gets a little bit blurry, so help me. And then there's this listening to the Holy Spirit. Just allowing him to guide. Remember, he provides the way of escape. Our Father has set us up for success. And every day he said, make me proud. Make me proud. I love you. Do what you can do because the Spirit is in you, my beloved child. And so we can be defined by these things. Our life should be defined by these things. Because these things define our Savior. And so when you think tomorrow, God is watching. Remember, it's with love in his eyes. And we do all of this, all of our life, before the Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Father, that you, you watch us. Yes. But it's not uh, because you want to see us mess up. You watch over us to protect us. You watch over us to help us. You watch over us. Father, from a place of love, from a place of joy, you are the reason, Lord God, there is even a desire to live a life that is pleasing to you. This new heart reality, this regeneration, Lord God, that has happened to us is because of you. And you, Lord, provide the strength so that we can have victory. We thank you, Father. I say this regularly because it's so important. We thank you that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, is residing in us. And so victory is possible every day. Would you give us victory, Lord, in our words? Would you give us a kindness and a compassion and a tenderness towards the needy, Lord, like you have? Would you give us, Father, a desire to be in the world, yes, but distinct, so that we can witness, so we can show people that this is what it means to live with true faith, to have true religion, and that there is a Savior available for them. 
And so I pray that you would give us grace. God, thank you for this very practical letter that you have placed in the New Testament for us. Thank you that you've given us the power to live it. Bless us, Lord, and make us a blessing, we pray, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.